if you could open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be spending the majority of our time today in the first chapter of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter, this book, as, as the book suggests, was written by the Apostle Peter. And if you can recall about Peter, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of his closest apostles. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured. He saw Jesus in all of his glory. This is also the same Peter who on the night of Jesus' arrest and ultimately his crucifixion denied Jesus. But then after Jesus was resurrected and Peter was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he had the first gospel message presented on the day of Pentecost and brought 3,000 believers to the church. This is the man who wrote this letter we're going to be looking at today, and it's a treasure for us to have. And with all scripture, we believe that this book was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we believe that it is the Word of God. Amen. And so a little bit of background before we get into the text. This letter was likely written to Christian Jews who had fled Jerusalem and now are living in smaller communities, which was known as Asia Minor, which today would be known as Turkey. And these believers who were living in these communities, these Jews were facing persecution. They were living in a land that was not their own. They were living in a culture that didn't recognize Jesus as Lord. It was a culture that was full of idolatry, full of pagan worship. And the believers at that time, they stood out like a sore thumb because they worshiped the one true God. First Peter, the first seven verses. To his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your Word. God, I thank you... Uh, for the opportunity to share your word, to preach your word this morning. God, as we dive into this passage, I pray that you would soften the hearts of everyone that's in here today, Lord, that your word, not my words, would penetrate their hearts, that it would challenge them, that it would transform them. And we thank you for it. Thank you for the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today I want to talk to you about the hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel. 
As I said, this book was written to believers who were facing persecution. Some of it was physical, but a lot of the persecution that they were facing was verbal persecution. They were being ostracized for being so counter-culture, for being against culture. And the primary theme of the book of 1 Peter is enduring suffering, facing suffering and being able to endure that suffering. And Peter wants to encourage the believers that it is possible to have hope, that in the midst of trials, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, that it is possible to still have hope in the life that you are living as really uh, an outsider in the culture that you are living in. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that believers today in 2021 are kind of in the same boat that they were. We don't necessarily fit in with the culture that we are living in. Or I should say this, we shouldn't fit in with the culture that we are living in. If you look at your life and it completely lines up with the culture and there's, there's no turmoil going on, there's no going against the grain in your life, um, I would ask you to examine your life and be sure that it is living up, lining up with the Word of God. Because if it does, in 2021, it is counter-culture. If you look around what our culture values today, it, it doesn't line up with the Word of God. And so we as believers living in 2021 should expect some sort of persecution. Trials are going to come our way as we live our life according to this book. People are going to look at us as extreme. People are going to look at us as crazy for believing in a book that was written thousands of years ago. And believing that this book has the ultimate authority in our lives. People are even going to think that we are unloving by doing what this book says. And so my goal for today is to show you and hopefully encourage you with these verses from 1 Peter that you can have hope in 2021. That you can have hope today living in a culture that is so counter the word of God. And that is because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so in order for us to have hope in the gospel, I think it's important for us to understand what the gospel is. If we're to place our hope in something, we need to know what it is we are placing our hope in. And so the gospel simply means good news. I mean, you've heard that before, right? The gospel means good news. And we, are, we as Christians are to have hope in the good news. Now, what is the good news? What, what is it that is good news? Now, I love this definition of the gospel that I heard from, uh, his name is Dr. Stephen Nichols. He's the president of Reformation Bible College, and he says this. The gospel can be defined as this, that we are saved from the wrath of God through the work of Christ alone. Amen. This is the gospel. We are saved from the wrath of God through the work of Christ alone. 
Now you might hear this and think, the wrath of God, that sounds pretty extreme. Never really heard of the wrath of God before. I thought God was loving. God was just knocking on my heart's door wanting to be my best friend. How does this line up with what I've heard before? Um, so I'm going to show you and let you know about that today because I think it's very important that we understand truly what is taking place in the work of our salvation to have hope in this life. So why do I need to be saved from the wrath of God? In the book of Romans, chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this verse all here, this word all, it means all. It doesn't, it doesn't say some have sinned, some have fallen short, or very little have sinned, or few have sinned, or many have sinned. It says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Now when God created Adam and Eve, when he created man, he created us in his image. Our job as God's creation was to literally mirror God to creation. To show forth his glory to all of creation. And when Adam and Eve sinned, when they chose their own way over God's way, it brought sin into the world. And every human being born since has been born in sin. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of being image bearers of God. And this is a huge deal that we have all sinned because Paul also says in Romans 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. There's the rest of that verse, which is very good news. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the wages of sin is death. What we are owed for our sin is death. All of us. Because all have sinned, the wages of our sin is death. Nobody is exempt from this. Now you might be thinking that that doesn't sound very fair, that we start off with zero chance, that all of us are deserving death. I thought God is love. How could a loving God have us be damned for eternity. Well, God is love, but he is also holy. In Leviticus chapter 19, God says to the Israelites, he says, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, is holy. God gave the Israelites his commands, which could not save because his, his commands showed how far we are from God's standard of living, from God's character. If you have broken one of God's commands, you have sinned and you have fallen short of God's glory and you are deserving of the wrath of God. God is holy. He is set apart. He is separate from his creation. He is perfect. And God and sin do not mix. God and sin are incompatible. They do not relate with each other. God cannot have relationship with anything that is sinful. And so for us, all being sinners, we all fall short of God's glory. And the payment for our sin 
is death. I told you I was going to encourage you this morning. How many of you are uh, just feeling very uplifted this morning? You might be thinking, this doesn't sound like good news. Well, in order for news to be good, you have to know why it's good news. And in order for us to understand the gospel, we have to know what is taking place in our salvation. I've heard so many people present the gospel without telling the people they're presenting it to why they need to be saved. They leave out this whole portion of the gospel presentation and just say that Jesus loves you and wants to be your friend. So say this prayer and you'll go to heaven. And see, people are placing their faith in a God that they do not understand. They do not realize what is taking place in the work of their salvation. And so for us to have hope in this life, we truly need to understand what is happening in the work of the gospel. And so if we're going to be saved, it's important that we know what we are being saved from. And so our sin had to be dealt with. And so again, the gospel is that we are being saved from the wrath of God through the work of Christ alone. And so that's the wrath of God. So now let's, let's take a minute and look at the work that Christ did. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who in perfect obedience to God the Father came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, a life without sin, then he died on the cross on our behalf. Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live, he died a death that he didn't deserve, and he did it on our behalf. And his perfect life allowed him to be the spotless lamb, to be sacrificed to atone for our sins. In the Old Testament, God set up the sacrificial system along with his law because he knew that the Israelites weren't going to be able to perfectly keep his law. So he established a sacrificial system. And so a spotless lamb or a spotless animal had to be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. But there was a problem with that, in that it wasn't a perfect sacrifice. It had to be done over and over and over again. It was not a once and for all sacrifice. But Jesus, the Son of God, taking on flesh, living a life that we could not, was the only one in the history of the world whose death could be a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And this is good news. Jesus died a death that we deserved, and his sacrifice was once and for all. And on that moment, on the cross, when all of our sin was applied to Jesus Christ, he faced the wrath of God in our place. And it's in that moment when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God could not look on his own son in that moment because of the sin that he was bearing for us. Imagine that. In that moment, Jesus, who had lived some 33 years of his life, never feeling the weight of sin, never feeling the guilt of sin, 
never feeling the pain of sin, never feeling the shame of sin that all of us are so familiar with. Not once did he have one of those feelings in an instant felt all of our sin at one time. Not just the sins that we've committed in the past, but the ones that we have yet to commit. Jesus felt all of that in one moment. This is what Jesus endured. Jesus, who had never felt the pain or guilt in his entire life, in one moment he felt it all. And that's not where this story ends. If that was where it ended, this wouldn't be good news. We would be placing our hope in, in the hopeless. There would be no hope in this gospel story if that's where the story ended. But thankfully, after three days, Jesus rose. Amen? Jesus defeated the power of death. And Jesus' resurrection from the grave is our guarantee that his death was enough for your sins. Jesus defeating death is how we can be sure that his death was a once and for all sacrifice. That we no longer need to place our faith in our works. We don't need to place our faith in an animal to be sacrificed. We simply place our faith in the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. And as we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ, we now have new life in Christ. Scripture says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If the old has passed away, our old way of living has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, now God looks at us and he doesn't see someone who needs to be applied the wrath of God. Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, God looks at us and he sees the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our lives. And so now, because of the work of Christ alone, we have been welcomed into the family of God and we have access to God the Father. We are now heirs with Christ and will receive an eternal inheritance with God. Eternity in the presence of God. We will see Jesus Christ face to face. We will bow down at his feet for all eternity and worship the only one who is worthy to be praised because of what he has done for us. So this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is our hope in this life. And this is what Peter was encouraging the believers of in this letter. So now that we've taken a few moments to look back at what the gospel is, let's go back to our passage in 1 Peter. Verses 3 through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 3 has a very important truth that we cannot overlook. It says, according to God's great mercy, he has caused us 
to be born again. God caused us to be saved. It was nothing in our own doing. There was nothing in us that made God choose us. It was only because of His grace and His perfect will. God didn't look through the portals of time and say, you know what, this person is going to be a great person, so I'm going to choose him and choose him for salvation. No, it was only because of the grace of God and because of his perfect will. Again, looking at verses 1 and 2, Peter says, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says of this foreknowledge, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. <clears throat> Before the foundation of the world, God chose you. That should get a better response from y'all this morning. If you really think about that, that God knew who his elect people would be before the world was even born. Before, as some have said it, you were even a twinkling in your mother's eye. God knew that you would be one of his children. Think about that for a moment. It's incredible. Why did he choose you? Why did he adopt you? Did, did it have something to do with you, this election that took place? No, Paul says it was because of God's love. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Now, this should be comforting to us, because if we were required to do something for our own salvation, guess what? We would mess it up. If it was up to us to do something for us to be saved, we would figure out a way to blow it. And so this should comfort us that it's only because of the grace of God, it's only because of his foreknowledge that he has caused us to be born again. R.C. Scroll said it this way, that we were not elected because we had faith, we were elected to have faith. Faith. The very faith that we have, the faith that is a saving faith, that alone is a gift from God. And only God, by His supernatural power, can cause you to be saved. We cannot generate a saving faith in our own power. In fact, Paul says that we were dead in our sins. We were spiritually dead. Now, I don't know if you've been around things that are dead before, but they, they don't do a lot of choosing. They don't make a lot of decisions. They don't come to life. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that can regenerate 
a dead soul and bring it to life and produce a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot generate our own salvation. We can't even seek after it. But the good news gets even better. Peter says that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is alive because Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? If Jesus was in a tomb somewhere, we would be placing our hope in the hopeless. We would be pitied among everyone for placing our faith in a dead God. But we have put our faith in the risen Savior who has an empty tomb. And so we have a living hope. Amen? Amen. So what is this hope that Paul is talking about? Is he saying that because of Jesus that now you can live your, your best day yet? That because this hope that you have now is that all your finances will turn around and you'll, you'll live a life of luxury on this earth and that you can live your best life now? Is that the hope that we are to have? Not at all. The hope that we have is an inheritance. That is our hope, that one day we are going to inherit eternity in the presence of God, our Savior. Now, we've all seen movies, I imagine, I know I have, where there's an inheritance involved, right? And people gather around for the reading of the will and the anticipation of waiting to hear what they're going to inherit. They have hope that they were the lucky one that was given the estate of maybe their great-grandfather. Oftentimes in the movie, they're completely left out of the inheritance, and the rest of the movie is having to deal with that. But they have hope. They have anticipation for what their inheritance will be. As I was getting ready for this message, I was looking up, you know, inheritances that people didn't know was coming their way and that they found out because we've all seen the movies where a princess found out or a girl found out that she was inherited inherited a, a kingdom or a throne and, and all of that. So I wanted to know, is any of that really true? Has that really happened before? Uh, so listen to this. It, it's pretty fascinating. In 1919, a man named Wellington Burt passed away. And in his will, he stipulated that the majority of his estate was not to be divided until 21 years after his youngest grandchild died. Now, apparently there was some family drama going on, and he wanted to make sure that nobody that he knew in his family got his inheritance. And so his last remaining grandchild died in 1989. So in 2010, his estate was divided between 12 of his descendants. He died in 1919, and in 2010, his estate was divided. And the inheritance was $110 million. So imagine being one of those descendants, finding out that some grandpa that passed away 90 years ago is now giving you millions of dollars. But even if you happen to be the beneficiary of an enormous, an enormous earthly inheritance, guess what? One day that's going to perish. One day that inheritance will fade away. 
Because nothing that we, that we acquire in this life, we can take with us into eternity. Nothing. I think it was Job that said, naked I came into this world and naked I'll leave it. But there is an inheritance for those who are in Christ. For those who have been saved by the will of God. And Peter says that this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And that it is kept in heaven for you. Our inheritance cannot be destroyed. Our inheritance cannot be defiled. It is being protected in heaven by God the Father. Nothing can spoil it. It cannot fade away. It's being protected in heaven. You know who's not in heaven? Satan. You know what's not in heaven? Sin. A thief. Nobody can steal this inheritance because it is in heaven being protected by God the Father. Now, a few months ago, we celebrated Mother's Day and we gave all the women in the church flowers. How many of you ladies still have that flower somewhere in your house? One of you? Okay. The rest of you, you don't have those flowers hanging up in your house. Now, why is that? Because they die, they fade away, the color faded, it started to wilt. If you left it in the vase for more than a few weeks, the water in there, maybe it started to change colors and have a smell that wasn't too pleasant. Now, all the husbands in here, I know that you wish that you could give your wife a bouquet of flowers that was imperishable and undefiled and that wouldn't fade away because you would only need to buy one bouquet of flowers for your wife and never need to buy another, another flower again. But that's not how it works. But it is the case with our inheritance. In Isaiah 48, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's word is eternal. And so that means his promises are eternal. And this is a promise that we have from the word of God that we have an inheritance that will never fade away. And this should bring you hope. And it gets even better. This morning I feel like an infomercial guy that's saying, but wait, there's more. <laughs> it, it keeps getting better and better. Peter then goes on to say in verse 5 about this inheritance. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So it's your faith in Christ that gives you access to your inheritance. And the amazing thing that Peter says in this passage is the very faith that you have been given is being guarded by the power of God. God is guarding your faith. The gift of faith was just that. It was a gift. And the one who gave it to you is going to guarantee that he is going to hold on to it until the last day. And that you are going to hold on to it until the last day. If we did something to acquire our faith, it would be in our power to keep our faith. 
And that would not be good news because we are weak. But the good news is that we can rest in the power of God for the surety of our salvation. Many times when you give someone a gift, especially if it's a nice gift, you hope that they take care of it. You hope that they'll use it because you're excited to give it. But ultimately, once you give that gift away, it's up to the person to, that receives it to take care of it, to guard it, to treasure it. This isn't how it is with our faith. Yes, we are to treasure our faith. We are to appreciate our faith. But the one who gave us that faith is the one who is guarding that faith, the one who is protecting that faith. So this is good news. So you see how all of this works together. The gospel is so much bigger, so much grander than Jesus loves you and wants to be your friend. There's so much more going on in the work of our salvation that oftentimes doesn't get talked about. And it's important for us to understand what is taking place. Because if we are to place our hope in something, we need to know what it is we are placing our hope in. And so let's look at the last two verses of our text today. Verse 6, it says, In this, in this inheritance, in this hope, in this gospel, in the resurrection of Christ, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says this amazing news should cause us to rejoice. God causing us to be saved, God birthing a, a saving faith in us, and God guarding that faith by His power should cause you to rejoice, even if we have various trials. And as I said, the, these Christian Jews at the time, they were facing various trials. They were facing persecution. They were facing slander. They were facing being ostracized. They were facing being labeled as outsiders. But Peter was saying that you can still rejoice because of this living hope that you have. And so for us today, even if we are living in a time where Christians are looked at as crazy, even if we're living in a time where standing for the truth of God's word is viewed as extreme or even viewed as unloving, even if we are persecuted for those views, even if we have friends that no longer want to talk to us or associate with us because they think we're crazy religious freaks. You can have hope. You can live your life with hope. You can live your life with optimism. You can be content in this world. You can be content even through the persecution because we have an inheritance that is coming that cannot be taken from us, that is being guarded in heaven, that is being protected by the faith that we have been given. And this is what we can rejoice in. Amen. 
And it says that as we face trials, the genuineness of our faith will be proven. How many of you have gone through some trials, some persecution, maybe some storms in your life that you didn't plan for, that you didn't foresee, that you didn't surely didn't expect or didn't want to happen? But through it, you saw a faith in God that you knew was not your own. You saw a faith that you knew in your own power, there's no way that you would be able to stand in that moment. There's no nothing in you that would want to go to God's word for strength, but yet you were going to his word for strength. This is the tested genuineness of your faith that Peter is talking about. That as we go through these persecutions, we see the faith that we have been given, and we see that it is genuine. And as we see that, our faith is built up. Our faith is lifted as we are realizing that this faith that we have been given is solid, that it is withstanding, that it is standing strong in the midst of persecutions and in the midst of trials and in the midst of storms. That we have been given a genuine faith and that the end result of this faith that we have been given is that Jesus Christ will be glorified on that last day. That when Jesus comes, he will receive full glory. That as we have all fallen short of the glory of God because of the salvation that we have been given on the last day, Jesus will be glorified by his saints, by those who have placed their faith in him. And so this is our hope. This is the truth of the gospel, and the truth of the gospel is a beautiful thing. That we are saved from the wrath of God through the work of Christ alone. Nothing else can save, nothing else other than the finished work of Jesus Christ can save us. You've heard Pastor Matt say it a lot, that it's not Jesus plus something that saves, it is Jesus alone that saves. Nothing else can save, nothing else other than the finished work of Christ can bring us into right relationship with God. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you have this living hope? Amen. Are you one of God's elect? Have you trusted in Jesus' finished work on the cross for your salvation? Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned from your old way of living? Do people look at you now and see a lifestyle of repentance, see a lifestyle of turning from sin, turning from your old way of living? If so, you can rejoice. You can live your life in 2021. You can live in a culture that is not your own. You can live in a culture that is counter to the Word of God, and you can live with hope in this life. So place your hope in the gospel. Let it be the anchor in your life. If you're relying on anything else for your source of hope, if you're relying on anything else for your source of strength, for your source of contentment, for your source of peace, it's going to leave you without hope. And sadly, many people do put their hope in other things. Many people place their hope in their careers. Many people place their hope in their families. Many people place their hope in 
politics. Many people place their hope in a sports team. And they're dependent on all of these things going the right way for them to have peace in their life. But guess what? There is going to come a time where you don't get the promotion you're wanting. There's going to come a time when the star player on your favorite team decides he wants to live in L.A. and so he ditches your team. <laughs> and leaves your team stranded and missing the playoffs for many years. There's going to be things that happen in politics that don't satisfy you. And if that's what you're relying on for your peace in this life, you are to be pitied. But that is not how the Christians are to live. That is not how we are to live. We are to place our hope in the gospel and only the gospel. That is where true peace comes from. That is where true contentment comes. So even if you don't get the promotion you wanted, guess what? You're still going to work as for the Lord and not for men. This is what living anchored in the gospel looks like. And this is what our living hope is. Our hope isn't based on anything we can do. Our hope isn't based on anything that can be done for us. Our hope is based only on what has already been done for us through the work of the resurrected Christ. And so I want to encourage you today, if you are feeling hopeless, maybe this last year and a half, COVID and everything going on in politics or in culture and, you know, in your families. Maybe you are feeling hopeless. Maybe you're filled with anxiety. Maybe you're filled with fear. I want to encourage you to go back to the gospel. Remind yourself where you would be right now if it wasn't for the word of Jesus Christ alone. And maybe you're in here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in here today and you haven't heard the gospel presented like this before. You've never heard that you are deserving of the wrath of God. Maybe you've never heard it laid out like this before. I want to encourage you, place your faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sin. Turn from your old way of living and realize that God is calling you. God is working on your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is calling you to repentance. So put your faith in Jesus Christ because there is no better way to live than anchored in the hope of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray this morning. the good news. This is what we stand on. This is our hope. This is our anchor in this life. That no matter what we face, no matter how far culture goes from the word of God, we are going to stand on his word and we are going to trust that his word is enough. And we are going to trust that we have an inheritance one day that awaits us because of the finished work of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, as the world around us and as
as the culture around us gets darker and darker, your word shines brighter and brighter. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the gospel. I thank you for the hope of the gospel. I thank you that you have called us, that you have chosen us, that you have elected us before the foundation of the world. And it wasn't because of anything we've done. It wasn't because we're special. It wasn't because of how great we are. It was only because of your love for us. So God, we thank you for that love. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would live our lives anchored in the hope of the gospel. That no matter what we face, no matter what trials come our way, no matter what persecutions we face, maybe in our families or at work, God, that we can stand strong in your word, trusting that the work of Christ is enough. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.